0: Listen for
1: special offers tonight from our wonderful sponsors, Stamps.com, Indochino, and Mac Weldon. And please remember that supporting them supports the show. You can also visit us at patreon.com slash astonishinglegends and support the show there if you'd like. According to some
2: of the latest research, 50% of people, in the United States anyway, have never even heard of a podcast. The reality is the medium itself is still in its relative infancy. You should all pat yourselves on the back because even if you've been listening to podcasts for years, you're still what's known as an early adopter. That makes you pretty cool. In fact, you're double cool because not only are you an early adopter, you listen to
1: astonishing legends. When we started out, we weren't sure this could be a business at all. It turns out that there does seem to be some chance that we'll actually survive this experiment. And because it's all about you guys, we wanted to let you know exactly where we're at right now because you got us this far and you have a right to know. We're so grateful to have several hundred patrons pledging amounts from a dollar a
2: month all the way up to 25, and we're currently bringing in around $1,500 monthly from that. We've also managed to attract the attention of several sponsors, and they are testing the waters with us to see if we're a good investment for their advertising dollars. When you guys support them, they feel good about sponsoring the show. So, with three to a max of four sponsors per episode, and at the support we have from you on Patreon, our gross income has currently become roughly equivalent to a single person working an entry-level part-time job. That's an
1: excellent start. And even though we're still not covering our expenses, especially our own time, we believe this is ultimately going to work. Our plan now is simple. It's really only about one last step, increasing the size of our audience. If we do that, then our sponsorship slots become more valuable, and we get on the road to becoming an actual functioning business. That's where you guys come
2: in. You've been amazing already. You've checked out our sponsors, and many of you have made purchases. You're supporting us on Patreon, and when you're not in a position to do those things, you're helping us by telling everyone you know about our show. We have just one request.
1: Keep going. That's it. The more people find us, the larger our audience gets, the stronger our roots become, and the closer we get to being able to keep at this for years and years. And believe me, we've got enough stories saved up to do that. Tell your friends about us, tweet to us or about us, Talk about us on Facebook and send folks to our page there. And if you're one of those weirdos who actually talks to people in real life, well, you can spread the word about us that way too. So thank you
2: for all you've done. Don't stop now. We wouldn't be here without you.
1: Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. We have to leave this
2: place. We have to leave this place. Gwen Sherman, co owner of what became
1: known as Skinwalker Ranch. Join us tonight for part one of our series on one of the most bizarre nexuses of paranormal activity in the world the Skinwalker Ranch.
2: Tonight, we're going to be covering just one more place Scott won't visit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to tell you, I this story, Skinwalker Ranch, it's something that I've been hearing the terms of, we've gotten a million emails, we've gotten a Facebook postings, everybody's like, you guys got to do Skinwalker. What? And I thought I... Knew, well, actually I never thought I knew what it was, but I was like, okay, no. it's another creepy thing. I think I was like, this is gonna be a forest special. <laughs> it's gonna be like what, not, what the, the amazing yeah. Randy calls woo-woo, you know. Oh, did, he's like, he? no, he didn't term that not specifically, coin that term, did he? Well, it is a term that he's known to use. Yeah,
2: for those of you who, who don't know, King of Skeptics James Randy, the magician. Yes. He's got this I must be going on, I don't know, twenty years, thirty years, but he's got this ongoing bet. He'll give a million dollars to anybody that can prove to him Anything about the paranormal is real. Yes. Well, sometimes they it's been randied or amazingly randied. (laughs) You know, but boy, this one has got it all, folks. Seriously, everything you could throw into it. And I will agree with Scott. I was familiar with the Native American idea of the skinwalker, but I didn't know it had all these other elements going on with it at this particular spot.
1: Yeah, this location is everything, including the kitchen sink, when it comes to paranormal activity, and. As a result, it's super hard to corral. It was very hard to work into a story that we could tell. There's
2: a thousand stories here.
1: Yeah. It goes in a lot of different directions, and it runs the gamut. And I have mixed feelings about that. Part of me is, you know, you want to say, oh, hey, this is a UFO story. This is a Bigfoot story. This is an (laughs) alien story about the greys. This particular one, it encompasses all of that. And that's not convenient, for storytelling. <laughs> well, that no. really affects your ability to get the folklore going. Not yeah. that there aren't elements of reality to this. And, I, and I'm going to say, I'll be the first to say that I was expecting to find myself a lot more dismissive of what was going on here because of all the things that were going on ah. than I wound up being. And Interesting. You know, I went through this book. There's a ton of books out there. But one of the best and most intense ones is a book called Hunt for the Skinwalker. That's written by Colm A. Kelleher and George Knapp, who famously uh, sometimes hosts Coast to Coast. Yeah. And this book, I finished it last week. Honestly, I couldn't put it down. It was so enthralling. I highly recommend it. We'll have a link to it in the show notes, of course. Frankly, it scared me. And I, I don't get scared <laughs> by books. I, the only book yeah. that I ever got really freaked out, and I think maybe now I could read it, but when I first tried to read it a long time ago, Communion, I couldn't get past like oh. chapter four yeah (laughs) or what i got a little bit into it and that's the whitley striber book about alien abduction and uh i didn't even necessarily believe in the idea of alien abduction but when he detailed what you experience yeah uh, i was like yeah no i'm done with this (laughs) (laughs) that's
2: the reason that's the sole reason i bought the book because scott was so freaked out by it yeah but like with many things to your point it's one of those great elements about doing a show like this and, and a subject like this. You hear a little something about it. And I guess probably for the listener too. I imagine myself as a listener, like, yeah, tell me more about that. And then once you get into it, it's like, Oh my goodness, that is uh, not what I expected yes. in, the, in the breadth of it. So it does make it hard to do a show about that because there's so many elements to this and, and it just keeps unfolding. It's like, it's like a John Wu film. There's a crescendo and a finale every 10 minutes. You don't know where it's going to end. On the other hand, I would say it's a great topic to discuss, which yes. is kind of the, the, you know, just kind of the vibe of our podcast, discussion among friends about something very strange, and here you have a topic which covers
1: it all. Yes, indeed it does. Well, let's get down to the meat of it. The story itself probably originates hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but we're going to pick up. In the late 90s. (laughs) (laughs) Well, even thousands of years ago. Yeah, To the the
2: very first humans that uh, inhabited this area. Yes, in North America.
1: There was about 12,000 years of human activity in North America that may have been attributed to tribal peoples. So there's a possibility that this area has... Been having a skinwalker issue? Oh, yeah, an issue for yeah. thousands of years. Yeah, but we're going to start, like I said, with the late '90s. We're going to tell you the contemporary setting here. Yes, and then
2: we'll probably go back at times here down the road to kind of fill out the history of it in, in general. But we want to let you know what is this thing? Where is it? What's going on there?
1: So, in the late 1990s, there was a couple and their kids, and they had a Terry and Gwen Sherman had decided that they wanted to get a nice big piece of land in a beautiful northeastern part of Utah. Yeah, he's a cattle rancher. Yes, he is. And they were also, I believe they were, that area is particularly LDS, uh, Latter-day Saints, oh, Mormons. Oh, yeah. yeah. I believe they're Mormon, but I'm not sure. I can't remember that specifically, but I think they were. But anyway, they found this ranch. It was 480 acres. That is
2: a wide stretch of land, my folks, yeah, here.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. That's a nice, nice chunk. And and this particular part of Utah is beautiful. And I, I know I've been there. And by the way, we know we have a few listeners that already, when we said we were doing Skinwalker, said that you guys lived in the area. I believe and somebody was saying they drive by there every day. Oh, yeah. I going to encourage you to find a new route. but
2: I... <laughs> <laughs> You know, you're probably fine. If you're going with a. It's uh, not too far from Interstate 40. Uh, The biggest town nearby is Vernal. It's kind of also on the way to Fort Duchesne, which is too small to really be called a city. It's more probably like a Hamlet. Yeah. But it's it's in that area. So that's kind of northeastern
1: Utah. So their dream was to settle down in this place on a beautiful, nice piece of land and have a lot of privacy and do some ranching. Because Terry was a rancher. He knew ranching. He was an outdoorsman. He grew up hunting. He's a very...
2: Oh, he's got degrees in animal husbandry yes. and uh, not a dumb guy scraping by. He is an authority on artificial animal insemination and yes. knows what he's doing. Exactly. So, So he found a great stretch of land to run about 80 head of cattle.
1: Yes. And the only thing about this ranch, which after they bought it became known as the Sherman Ranch, was... They really ultimately wound up not being the owners of it. After about two years? Yeah, but even – Two intense years. Spiritually, almost immediately, they weren't really the owners. Well, no. (laughs) Uh, they—they The ranch owned them and it was just getting started. Well, yeah,
2: you're right. It became very interactive, not only visually with things that they saw, but according to them, emotionally – and it got into their heads quite literally in well, some yeah. cases
1: i would like to start with one of the one of the most poignant stories although there's probably at least 10 of them in hunt for the skinwalker the book that i mentioned earlier and this one relates to an incident with a large very large seemingly immortal wolf <laughs> <laughs> that, you just
2: oh yes get us in the mood here start yeah. off with the uh...
1: this wolf approached the whole family they were out by a corral and it was the it was Terry and Gwen and their kids, and the wolf came up to where they were, and it had been they saw it loping towards them, I guess, and it was very graceful and slow and deliberate, and and it seemed tame. It didn't seem.
2: I believe it came up, and the family were petting it. Yeah, it was, I think at some point they yeah.
1: weren't afraid of it for whatever reason. No, Although and it wasn't it was afraid of them. Huge. and yeah. it, yes, it wasn't well, afraid of them. Let's
2: be clear because there's some other stories where we're talking shoulder height, the roof of a pickup cab. Yeah. This one was very, very large. Let's say maybe even Great Dane size. Yes. Yeah. But, which but, is
1: about, which in a Great Dane is generally around 36 inches at max yeah, height. Yeah. So when it's not standing on its back legs, of course. This
2: is a very interesting Point of the story because if i were out in the woods and certainly i'm always i've mentioned before i'm always very conscious about seeing uh you know wild animals because they are not your pets or disney characters right you don't want to be messing with them but i think that there was this is a very strange moment for both of them
1: it uh, was a yeah. strange moment for the whole family and it also plays into something that's going to come up later which is the possibility of mental manipulation by these creatures that are appearing on the ranch Anyway, the wolf comes up to them. There is a small corral with some calves in it just off to the side, off to their right, I gather, from where they were standing. Most of the calves were cowering, but there was one calf that had its head through the bars. Its snout, yeah. Yeah, and the wolf took a look at them, and then it went over very nonchalantly and grabbed the calf's head and started trying to, like, almost pull it through the bars. Yeah. So they immediately sped into action. And like you said about Terry, I don't know what kind of calf this was, but he was an expert in husbandry. He took cattle ranching very, very seriously. They had a lot of prize steer, and in fact, I had read also that he wanted his annual loss on of his cattle to be one percent or less, whereas most cattle ranchers it would be five percent or so per year. Yeah, you know, to disease, predatory attacks, that sort of you thing.
2: You also have to realize these things are thousands of dollars. These are very yes, expensive uh, very. when they go to auction. Uh, you know, so losing just a few is thousands of dollars. Could be tens. 20, you know, tens of thousands of dollars out of your pocket lost. Yeah, not
1: to mention the effort just to have them... Uh, yeah, it takes born. a long
2: time to raise them, too. Yeah, you know. and
1: have them get born in the first place. We'll not go into that here. It's not a nature <laughs> show, but, you know, there's a lot of work involved there. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. But this wolf grabs this thing's head. It's trying to pull it through the bars. Terry runs over and is kicking it hard in the rib cage a couple of times. Yeah, and I then think they're
2: beating it with a stick as well. Well, his yeah. son
1: had a baseball bat. Yeah. He's beating it on its back with a baseball bat. It won't let go. It's not even reacting. Yeah. So then he tells his son to go to his truck and get him his 357 Magnum. Which is your fairly son. powerful handgun? It's the most powerful handgun in the world. No, it's no, well, no, it's not. <laughs> know, no, because the dirty—he had a .44. Oh, he had a .44. Man, oh, no. had a 44 right? And now, yeah, of course, exactly they have fifty that.
2: caliber handguns. So, yes. Thank but, you for saving me from the the emails about that one. <laughs> People sending you pictures <laughs> and threatening you, but no, it no. It so, blow
0: your head clean off. Well, at least uh, I know that
2: line. Yeah, it's quite a powerful weapon. If you've ever been next to one, it uh, it'll leave your ears are ringing. And so he plugged this thing. And as he said, it just I think he just looked at him. Like, yep. what, are you, what are you doing? Yep. Like, what are you he like? shot it yeah.
1: three times.
2: After the first with no effect, he repeated it, yes. uh, repeated the shot, shot him three more times, still nothing. Two more, three total. Uh, right. Two more
1: with this weapon. Yes. Also, by the way, it's not bleeding. It's clearly getting wounded. The bullet's entering its body. Well, they're going somewhere, yeah. It's not bleeding, and it's not reacting. So then he asked his son to go get his odd 6 which is a bolt-action rifle. He shoots it. This is a weapon that he has hunted. He's been a lifelong hunter. He's hunted and, uh, he's,
2: and yeah. killed He's, he's elk. also a crack shot. He's yeah. a crack
1: shot. Yeah. He's killed elk at 200 yards with this thing. So now, again, uh, at 15 to 20 feet away, he fires at this thing again. It recoils a little bit. It moves about 10 feet. It takes a look at them. Still not like it's hurt either. No. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be injured. It just seems to be mildly dissuaded yeah. <laughs> well, from and what it was doing. I, I
2: think in the last shot or one of the last shots he fired with the rifle, yes. a chunk of fur and a little bit of flesh came That's off.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. It left behind a, a little piece of flesh and then it started to leave. And Just it,
2: casually though. It
1: was trotting. <laughs> yeah, it, was it was described like, as trotting. It's like, all
2: right, you know what, uh, maybe too much work for this.
1: So he is concluding, oh, it's probably not a good thing to have on the ranch. We need to go after it and finish the job with this thing or we're going to yeah. lose a lot of animals. So he and his son start tracking it. And by the time they get their act together and start out after it, it's already 100 yards out in front of them. But the earth is wet. It's leaving tracks in the mud wherever it steps in anything that's kind of like wet. And it's very, very easy to follow. So they're following it. It goes through some thick brush, I believe, or some woods or some kind of, you know, what is described in the book as a copse of trees. There's a lot of like little pockets of trees, I guess. And it goes through. They actually lose sight of it for a bit. And they're following it through. And... Terry, being a good tracker, stays right on it. They come out into a field, they're coming up on a river, and they're about 25 yards from the river, and they're looking at the tracks and they can see these big, heavy paw prints going down in the mud. And at 25 yards from the shore, or about 60 feet from the river, the tracks stop. Not only do the tracks stop, they vanish and the animal is gone. There is no sign of it, and there is nowhere nearby that it could have gone and be hiding. It has literally disappeared off the face of the earth. There are no launch points. There's no way it could have jumped to the river from there. There was no place else for it to go. It just vanished, and they never saw it again.
2: That's going to be a reoccurring theme here with a lot of these uh, firsthand accounts. Right. Whatever they're tracking, it's either in snow, mud, easily trackable, the prints stop. Right. Right. It gets out of
1: sight, and then it vanishes.
2: So where's it going? Well, there's theories to that, that it's someplace else. And I mean a big, far away, someplace
1: else. Yeah, and we're definitely going to get to that. But that's kind of the opening salvo in this story. This giant animal came upon them within weeks of them moving there. And that was what they did. Shot it numerous times with powerful weapons, and it slowly retreated, and then it vanished into thin air. So, this is a sign that maybe there's going to be some future problems with this
2: range <laughs> well certainly, certainly some unexplainable things because if any, any of you have ever gone hunting, you know that you could bring down a large elk with a, a well placed shot from a, a rifle that powerful, but certainly that at that close range, that many shots, there should have been some reaction.
1: Right. And again, they described it as as appearing to be tame, and they also said that it had piercing blue eyes.
2: That's the weird thing about the story when I read it. You don't pet wolves, you know, what I'm saying? especially yeah. even ones that are in those uh, enclosures, the walk in the wild type zoos. There's no petting zoo for wolves. Right. Because they are a wild canine beast, and you don't know what they're going to do. So that was a very odd thing that it just, it had this pall of calm. Yes. Not only with the animal, but with the, with the humans, almost like they were under a trance of sorts. And then the, the, the wolf was like, okay, while everybody's kind of chilling here, I'm just going to go over and take a bite out of this calf and drag it off because he still needs to eat. All right. Before we go any further, let's take a quick break. So Scott, do you remember the riddle game, Would You Rather?, Yeah. Because I thought it would be fun to play a little game of Would You Rather with our sponsor, Stamps.com, in mind. Okay. Got no idea where this is going, but hit me. Would you rather go to the post office to mail a package or... Fly on a commercial flight in the middle seat.
1: Is the flight under three hours? <laughs> sure. I'll take the flight. <laughs> wow. Well, you're not kidding around with your disdain for going to the post office. I make no apologies. There's just too many lines in life, and if a company like Stamps.com comes around and can eliminate one more line from my life, I'm all about it. Well, Sure. It's that feeling you get where you can get something done with one click of your mouse. It doesn't get more convenient than that. And thanks to Stamps.com, you can get your mailing and shipping done without leaving your desk. It turns your PC or Mac into your own little personal post office. No lines, and it never closes. And that's the key. You buy and print the postage for any letter or package using your computer and printer, and then just hand it over to your carrier. Or if it's larger, you can arrange for the postal service to pick it up. Never will I have to go to the post office again for Astonishing Legends, and that's a day too soon. I hear you loud and clear, and I'll make it even better for our listeners to try out with a very special offer.
2: Sign up for stamps.com and use our promo code LEGENDS. And you
1: get a four-week trial, plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a scale. That's everything you need right there. Go to Stamps.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the page. Again, we don't want you to miss out. Click the microphone at the top of the homepage and enter LEGENDS. Again, that's Stamps.com, click on the microphone, and enter LEGENDS. I bet the post office was a super long drive for the uh, Shermans, like 40 minutes or something, don't you think? Yeah, well,
2: you have to realize this place is out in the middle of nowhere. So when I hear people say, oh, it's just pranksters, like that's a long way to drive for a prank. Yeah. Because they had to make trips into town for supplies. And at one time, something weird happened, which we're going to talk about a little bit later.
1: All right, let's get back to it. Where were we? Uh, You mean after the Hound of the Baskervilles? Yes. It's funny that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle should come up again because he came up in the Mary Celeste story. Yeah. And he actually got that whole legend into a, a bit of trouble because of the fabrications that he made for well, his story that was inspired. Yeah. But, you know, he's writing a book. He gets yeah. to say whatever he wants. He, he, and, didn't, he didn't think it would be
2: that popular. No.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. It, The Hound of the Baskervilles was inspired by a story of these ghostly black dogs and Dartmoor. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Dartmoor? Dart. Dart yeah. You know, Dartmoor say both, and then uh, people can pick. <laughs> <laughs> in uh, southern England. yeah. But the, in the story, it was a hoax, not to be a spoiler alert for an ancient uh, <laughs> oh. Con.: Well no, they're very
2: popular now.: <laughs> I really enjoy the Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman version uh, that's
1: on BBC. That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's an excellent series.
2: No, very well done.
1: Very. They very, do like yeah. three episodes and then they disappear for two years. <laughs> you, you just gotta wait. It. Yeah, uh, but no, <laughs> while it, he, he f- makes like fifty movies in between. Yeah, oh, geez. I, yeah, I imagine now. <laughs> Actually, that, they both do. Yeah, I know. They both got uh, very
2: popular after that. But the idea, though, in that story, it was a hallucination of sorts, which is not too far afield though from what we're talking about, because there's a psychic element to this. Yes, a mental fabrication, if you will, that is not totally unreal. Well, it
1: just doesn't make sense. I mean, this animal was seemingly immortal. Yeah. It vanished into thin air. They never saw that particular one again. It's certainly not a wounded one of any kind. No. It left behind yeah. physical matter. So at one point it was physical, no matter what. Because right. there was a chunk of it left yeah. behind in the field. Yeah. Well, I would have loved to have that tested, but, uh, yeah, you Yeah, know. I'm, I'm sure at the time that, that probably didn't occur to them. No, that, no.
2: You know? But getting back to England and strange creatures, you know, I, we mentioned this before. There's been a spate of sightings of a large black leopard in the tube. That people oh, have yeah, seen. really? That's been going, oh, yeah, that's been going on for year uh, several years now maybe oh. as many as 10 or, or more. And yeah, forget it, the
1: gap, mind the leopard.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it may be even older than that. It may, yeah. it may even go back prior to World War II. I do know that there's been contemporary sightings. Oh, wow. And also same thing with this black dog. It, it's a very, what would you call, symbolic sighting, a large black dog. In fact, we've read several stories about personal accounts with Native Americans here that have uh, seen a,
1: a large black dog. And it's usually not a good omen no in the black dog in general it's kind of like the black cat is in the. US in fact in the British Isles and specifically the the black dog is a particularly poignant yeah omen I don't know if you ever heard that song black-eyed dog by Nick Drake yeah yeah that's a creepy yeah. song and I want it's not I don't know if that dog was but <laughs> his eyes were black. Yeah. But either way, well, it's, yeah. it's, it's about death. The, I mean, there's no question that song's about death,
2: right? No, there's it's all like, kinds of animals that portend uh, an ill fate: owls. Yeah. Uh, you, as we said before, birds crashing into your house mul- yeah. and multiple times. But specifically here, yes, the dog, the canine, features very prominently in this story because, to the Native American legends and lore and their ancestral traditions, the coyote or coyote, as, I, as they say where I'm from, or the wolf have oh, creator.
1: Where are you from? Are you from first?
2: Uh, up north, <laughs> p- Pacific Northwest. I will, you know what I'll General just say, Idaho, Idaho Panhandle region. How's that? I've always loved that term. Oh. So with their legends and lore, it figures greatly into their creation myths. Yes. The coyote
1: could talk, but right. he is a trickster and not to be trusted. All of that's going to come up again. And this, by the way, isn't the only incident with the wolf for the Shermans. Not too long after the first incident that we just discussed, Gwen Sherman came face-to-face with another giant wolf. Now, at this time, she was driving her car, which was a Chevette. And I'm actually old (laughs) enough to remember the Chevette. I had Uh, a friend that had one. He Actually, he had the Pontiac version of it, which was called the T-1000, I think. uh, Yeah. Which this was before the The Terminator. Before the Terminator. Okay. So, so, anyway, she was driving her Chevette, an equivalent to a Pontiac (laughs) T-1000. which is not a terminator. And this uh, car's not a chariot yeah. by any means, but this one must have run well because it was this incident took place in about 7 years after they stopped making them in 1987. So she had at least a 7-year-old Chevette, if oh, not there older, you go. Yeah. Uh-huh. I remember al- that al- my friend's uh, T1000 ran a long time. Actually. Aluminum block? I don't know. Yeah, okay. Aluminum. <laughs> Anyway, Uh Gwen had said that this particular wolf was so large it had to bend down to breathe on her driver's side. Okay,
2: yeah, shoulder height, the roof of the cam line. Yes. The shoulder height was uh, in line with the top, uh, with the roof of the car.
1: Yes. Now, the arc, and more specifically Marie Mayhew, tells me that a Chevette is four feet, four inches tall. Okay? This creature's shoulders would have had to bend, as you just said, at about that height, making its head possibly up to five feet off the ground. Yeah. A great Dane, as I mentioned earlier, typically its head, I should say, depending on the sex, sure, Mm -hmm. is three feet off the ground. So this wolf was a good two feet taller. Than a large Great Dane. What about the largest
2: wolf on record? You know, they, uh, the... the. Um,
1: yes, the yeah. largest wolf on record is the male Alaskan wolf, and that is over a foot shorter. That would be four feet tall. Yeah. The
2: tallest. That's still a big uh, big animal. Yeah. Big but it canine. lives in Alaska
1: and the Yukon yeah. U- 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 Territory. It does not live in Utah. Yeah. So according to Knapp and Kelleher's book, a wolf at that time hadn't been sighted in Utah since 1929.
2: Yeah, it is out of their range.
1: Yeah. So, and there was some transplanted to Yellowstone in neighboring Wyoming a year after this event in 1995. This happened in 94. And in 2002, a wolf that was relocated to central Idaho as part of the same program showed up in Vernal, which you mentioned earlier, Vernal, yeah. in a trap. But that was eight years after this. So, she wondered if this wolf might have been a pet that belonged to a neighbor, but none of her neighbors had wolves. So, well, like I said, it's not a pet. <laughs> you know what yeah, like, no. Some but people you can make them. Well, into no. Pets. Some
2: people keep them and yeah. they uh, they husband them, as you could say. Yeah. But they don't make a great family pet. We had a, a, a Siberian Husky that was a uh, large part. Uh, they say probably a quarter wolf. Very intelligent, very gentle animal, and he had a lot of wild instinct in him. when you, When you took him off a leash, he would just run for forever. Yeah. And what was strange is he wasn't that big but other animals other dogs were very intimidated by him he didn't sure. he didn't bark he just kind of looked at him He was like oh okay give you that samuel jackson stare you right, know, so, right. <laughs> but he was bred with Siberian... has Say bark hus- again <laughs> just no kind of, cuz they all kind of uh, they all kind of uh, cowtowed to him yeah. uh, and he wouldn't uh, growl or anything he just looked at him and I, there's some sense there he was much smaller and he was bred to be a pet so it's not very common that people just have wolves running around as pets right and not real common for that kind of deserty area. You'll find coyotes out there. Sure. That's kind of their terrain, you yeah. know, but yeah.
1: not like a, a timber wolf. And as if the sighting wasn't bad enough of the wolf that's right next to the car, there was, in the distance, an extremely large, strange-looking black dog with what Gwen described as a head way too big for its body. And it was just standing off in the distance, and this yeah. was like a stoic, silent observer. Mm. There's something more to these creatures. They have piercing blue eyes. They're calm. They almost seem tame. The first one didn't react to being wounded by all manner of weapons. And it seemed more focused on deliberately interacting with the Shermans in a way before it grabbed the cat. Well, and, yeah. There's some kind of mental connection. Yeah. yeah, it came up to them. I had not read that they actually were petting it. I don't. I feel, I <laughs> yeah. feel like that wasn't in the book. Did you read that somewhere? Well,
2: that was from a, the George Knapp article. Uh, that he had written, and this is the way he describes. In fact, this little section is called the bulletproof wolf. Uh, so on the day that the Gormans moved their furnishings onto the property, they had their first foreshadowing of the events that would follow. They spotted an extremely large wolf out in the pasture. The wolf cautiously made its way across the field and, to the surprise of everyone, sidled up to the family, acting like it was a familiar pet. It had rained that day, and the family remembers, the wolf smelled like a wet dog as they were petting it. Hmm. Okay. Which, again, man, I'm, t- I'm telling you, it's a I very
1: like, visceral experience. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's oh yeah, yeah. No, there's all the senses. Right.
2: Well, yeah. So it's not something they forgot or saw in the distance. Like, wow, that looks like a wolf. Uh, probably a stray dog.
1: There's something else to the fact that it was the day they moved in their furniture because one of the yes. ongoing themes with the Skinwalker Ranch is that the ranch and all the activity around it is provoked. And when there's not uh-huh. activity, right. things don't happen. Uh, and yes. when there is activity, right things do happen. And there's some things you really, really don't want to do, like dig.
2: Digging is bad. (laughs) Digging is bad. Digging is bad. No, it's very
1: interactive,
2: as we'll cover later on. The researchers who have gone on to study this place, that's one thing that they all say is that it's very reactive and even precognitive. Yes. Whatever's going on there seems to know what you're about to do before you decide you're going to do it. I have to do a movie reference. Oh, go ahead. Precogs. Oh, the Minority Report? Yes, Minority Oh, very report, good, yeah. I'm still That's waiting for
1: my computer that I can wave my hands at and it does stuff.
2: It's right around the corner, right? Well, yeah. You need the gloves, though. Those are $1,000 each, yeah. not for the pair. <laughs> the point is that this place is very interactive, and there is a little bit of a tie-in to crop circles. Yeah. Those are somewhat interactive. And I've read that you there's groups of people that have meditated on a design, and next thing you know... An hour later, there it is.
1: Well, it's funny that you should mention meditation. That will come up too. Oh, yeah, yeah. In part two of this series, which there's so much to cover, and we are planning to keep it to three parts, but (laughs) um, there's a lot. There's a lot of material here, and one of the things that happens is there are some specific stories from the Knapp and Kelleher book, Hunt for the Skinwalker, about meditation, there's one about a gentleman who came to the ranch and was said that he had to meditate and he wanted them to take him to a field. What? I'm gonna save that one for later. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then there was another one where the researchers who were later installed at the area were had done some meditation in an attempt to provoke something, a la the incident that happened with the first guy. And did it work? Yeah. Okay. So we're we're gonna get to that, but it's interesting. I actually did not know what you just said about crop circles. I was not aware of that.
2: Well that's that has um been a documented thing with people that in England that have researched them you know people who are really into it and go out and try and photograph them that they've tried to see if there's a connection not that they expected one a group of them would sit down and meditate on a specific sacred geometric pattern and lo and behold that exact pattern would appear in a field close by uh, within funny. within an hour or so. Like oh, rapidly. I got to know
1: more about this. That's well, oh,
2: my goodness. Crop circles are a whole other thing. And yeah. this is what I love about Scott. When we first started talking about this stuff, he'd be, he'd be like, crap, I believe, I think that people are just doing that. It's like college kids, drunk college kids. Well, and the more that you get into this, I love this because I can see this pattern of evolution happen with your thought. Yeah. Not that you come to a conclusion necessarily that satisfies you, but your mind opening up. And with this thing, with Skinwalker Ranch, the pattern of activity, because, folks, we're talking about orbs to cryptids to psychic phenomenon, poltergeist activity, everything, otherworldly portals. And so what the researchers have noticed, that we'll get into this a little bit later, there seems to be an evolution. And so when I, I want to make sure that I mention crop circles because with crop circles, there seems to have been an evolution of the pattern. Year by year. One year it's insects, one year it's fractals, one year it's it's sacred designs, like religious designs. Mm-hmm. There's an evolution going on, like we're meant to learn something from this. There's a pattern that needs to be picked up. Now with the activities that are going on at the Skinwalker Ranch, these aren't all beneficial learning experiences, but they do seem themed yeah. and, and grouped together. That is one thing that the researchers have noticed. There is intelligent cognitive motivation behind this. All right. We're going to take a little break now for one
1: of our sponsors. Before too long, if our show continues to grow, we're going to have to start worrying about what we look like in public.
2: Oh, no, no, no. I stopped <laughs> worrying about that years ago. Seriously. <laughs> I know,
1: I can tell. <laughs> I, I, I personally, I yeah. was ill-equipped for it until Indochino came along and sponsored us. If you've never had a custom made-to-order suit, you are missing out.
2: Oh, yeah. It's something that's uniquely fitted to your body, and there's no substitution for it because it wears better than any off-the-rack suit you'll get online
1: or at the department store, and I don't care how much you spend. You just feel better. Indochino. Remember that name. Indochino is making made-to-measure suits affordable and available to everyone. So suit up. Get a -a one-of-a-kind made-to-measure
2: suit at indochino.com. For instance, Scott, you ever seen like a model or an actor like Clooney? Yeah. You look at him, it's like, man, he looks like a million euros. Because <laughs> well, that suit he did not buy at the department store off the rack. He no. had that thing made for him so it fits to his body. Yes. And that's the secret. It doesn't matter what shape you are,
1: that suit's going to fit that pair. Could I go with that? Inverted (laughs) light bulb? Sure, yeah. It's a great experience because you can customize the details, the lining, the lapels, a personal monogram if you want. Mine's actually going to say Astonishing Legends inside, and I'm (laughs) totally giddy about that. And also, don't forget they have dress shirts and a bunch of other cool accessories. So you need to go check it out today. Today at Indochino.com. Our listeners will get
2: any premium suit for just $399. What? That's like 50% off, right? Yeah, that's crazy. That is 50% off for our listeners at Indochino.com when entering Legends. And shipping is free. There's no reason not to try out your first custom-made suit
1: with a deal this good. We're talking a premium suit from their classic collection. And it will last. It's a great product. There's a money-back guarantee, too. That's Indochino.com.
2: Promo code LEGENDS for any premium suit for just $399 and free shipping. Okay, so let's get back
1: to our story. All right, so the next thing I think we should talk about is what is... A skinwalker.
2: You mean in the traditional
1: Native American sense? Well, yeah, I think that's where we have to start, right?
2: Well, yeah, this is such a huge story of its own. I mean, this is a whole legend deserving of its own episode. Yeah, that's right.
1: It doesn't specifically belong to this ranch. The the skinwalker and this particular piece of land are only connected in that the skinwalkers are thought to be appearing there, not that it's the only place they appear. Exactly. They are culturally pervasive across every... Native American tribe. There are stories— In
2: the Southwest.
1: In the Southwest, yes. Going back for generations.
2: Well, to the very first peoples, the first nations that moved into the area. And what's interesting, as we also mentioned, these stories continue to this day.
1: One of the things that I've come across in doing all the research that we've done for this show is is the respect and fear and acknowledgement of how they describe witches, medicine. Well,
2: because there's two branches of— that ilk of person. And again, we love Native American lore. I tend to believe (laughs) their stories much more than I do the average stuff coming out of media these days. Yeah. Just because of the long history and tradition. And we don't know a whole lot because in their traditions, you're not really supposed to discuss this kind of stuff with non-Native America. It's bad mojo, seriously. Because the other reason is that if you talk about it, you're going to bring unwanted attention of a skinwalker
1: to you, and you do not want that. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that, actually. The in Anglo-American culture thinks of witches as women, and, and that's, you know, traditionally it, well, going from, back yeah, you, and, and right. predating Anglo-American, obviously. Yeah. But in Native American cultures, witches are men, and they are extremely powerful. And I remember watching a, an interview with one guy who was having a, who had a skinwalker experience, and he was talking about a particular member of his tribe that was a medicine man. And he goes, he's medicine. We, we don't, we don't mess with him. He's medicine. just <laughs> called it medicine. I was uh, like, yeah. There's yeah. like, a, there's this huge amount of respect and it's also fear. And yeah,
2: it really depends also where you're from or where, where your uh, tribal location is, because we had a, a great listener, Carly, and, mm-hmm. and I didn't, she didn't know I'm going to mention her, but she gave us a great email about the lore. And, and I think her boyfriend is what she calls a holy man. Right, And she had seen a little person. So we'll talk, maybe we might talk about that. Those have also been seen on the ranch. I was going to reach out to her, but she didn't respond to my crazy email. So <laughs> she's freaked out. I just, I know. With the, with, I mean, with, yeah. with
1: most shows, they get crazy emails from the listeners. With our show, listeners get crazy emails from us. Oh, no, no.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I give you your money's worth. Yeah, and you never hear from me again. But she had mentioned something like that. That is also something else that has been seen on the ranch. There's yeah. kind of a little teaser here. Small people with their own language yes. and their own customs. And, uh, yes, and the strange
1: language uh, comes up uh, over
2: and over. Tons of strange language, voices from out of the thin air. In that case, anyway, yeah, she referred to him as a, as a holy man. Now, with the skinwalker traditionally, there's two types. One, the shaman or the medicine man is someone who has taken on this life to do good, yes. to alter his mind so he can
1: gain the secrets from the other side of how to heal. That's now, your, you're telling me that there's a skinwalker? That is doing good? because uh, No, no, no. Not, okay. No, no, so no, no. Be no, careful I'm, how I'm, you're phrasing
2: that. Okay. Yes, well, yes sir. Because okay. yeah, I don't want any unwanted attention myself. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. the person who becomes the healer. Yes. They, that's a, a medicine lo- man. Well. They, or, or a holy man. But with the skinwalker type, it's a person who started off wanting to do good, but they were lured by the dark side and they became selfish and evil and they are only in it for their own power and self-serving interests. So. Even if you approach one, they're not going to help you out. So that's kind of, I think, we know more about this because of the anthropological studies of the Navajo Yes, than other uh, other tribal folks, like the Utes. They don't want to really want to talk about it. But what we know from the Navajo, that's kind of two areas where they split off. So again, it's somebody who starts off wanting to know more mystical secrets, and a lot of them start off being good folks and then take a turn for the worst, And end up becoming evil and, and, uh, yeah, self-serving.
1: This happens in every society. Well, oh, do
2: you know what just popped into my mind? There you go. It's the Jedi. No, of course. Yeah, he's ripped off everything. (laughs) Again, as as we talked about in the river, that's a legend of being able to walk in the sky. Yeah. Just around, I guess. Well,
1: it'd be kind of cool. But a little bit off to the side with that one, but getting back. According to the Navajo, they also can control your mind and force you to hurt yourself or end your life. But here's the big magic trick that they do. Skinwalkers can transform or shapeshift their bodies into whatever they want. A wolf, a coyote, a bear, a bird, any other animal, even an insect, according to one source we found. And once they transform, they have all the traits of whatever animal they've become, including its speed, its hunting prowess, and its strength.
2: We've, again, read reports where people have claimed that this thing was keeping up with them at highway speeds. Right. One a great account was a, a a Navajo woman I think uh, out delivering newspapers early in the morning and this thing was trying to get at her baby yes. that she had in the car with her. Yes. And uh, she managed to fight it off sped off down the road this thing's keeping up with her.
1: In Nap and Kelleher's book they quote New Mexican educator Doug Hickman is saying, "quote, it is a very powerful witch. It can run faster than a car." and can jump Mesa cliffs without any effort at all, end quote. Wow, interesting. But,
2: but I want to come back to one thing that you said, because it ties into the rules. Yeah. When you said that they can enter your mind and force you and, and kind of influence you to maybe hurt yourself, or at the, the worst, kill yourself, they maybe can't do it directly. We've talked about uh, evil entities, demons. It's like, well, they're demonic. If they could kill you directly, they would. You know, right. fling a knife, a poltergeist could just fling a knife across the room and get you in the eye. This seems to be a rule here as well. I mean, they're bad, they're evil, they will drain you of your sanity and your emotional health and your physical health, but there might be something that is keeping them from directly harming you. Right. But again, you don't want to meet one.
1: No, you definitely don't. Right, so the Ute tribe in the area of the ranch have legends about the skinwalkers that go back 15 generations. Hunt for the Skinwalker cites retired science teacher Junior Hicks, whose friends in the tribe told him that the Navajo and the Utes were originally friendly, but after the Spanish came and the Utes acquired horses from them, they also took up slave trading, which they learned from the Spanish, and they allegedly abducted Navajos and members of other tribes and sold them into slavery in New Mexico. The Utes even fought under Kit Carson during the Civil War against the Navajo, and eventually, supposedly, the Navajo cursed the Utes for all of the bad blood. Now, Hicks stated that the Skinwalker curse has been with the Utes ever since, and on top of that, the Utes won't even set foot on the land that Terry and Gwen had purchased, which is now known as Skinwalker Ranch.
2: Yeah, it's forbidden.
1: That's right. They were not allowed to go there, and this is in spite of the fact that they don't think the Skinwalkers actually live on the ranch. They think they live in a nearby place called Dark Canyon, and Dark Canyon isn't on the ranch. It's close by, but it's a forbidden area too, and Junior Hicks had requested permission from the tribe to go and explore Dark Canyon where supposedly there's petroglyphs depicting skinwalkers that are hundreds of years old.
2: There's uh, petroglyphs all throughout the area Um, we'll we'll come back and talk a little bit more about, um, but they're interesting because they kind of show what could be interpreted as beings interacting with another side or a portal. And these are beings, uh, they're not all human. And yes, there's a long tradition of for hunting, you know, of wearing animal pelts to disguise yourself or medicine men using them as a ceremonial piece. But it goes way back and beyond like what you see like Johnny Depp wearing in the (laughs) – (laughs) Wearing in the the movie that he just thought would be a fun idea, but the (laughs) the actual Native Americans were like, well, that's like a formal, like you wouldn't be wearing that daily. No. It's a ceremonial thing. We'll talk about some of the the petroglyphs and pictographs, which the difference is that the, the petroglyphs are actually chipped into the stone and pictographs or petrographs, as some call it, are painted on. But I saw one that had an image that could be interpreted as a being that is not human with a round head. And I just wanted to men- quickly mention because I it just reminded me of a interesting connection to the Bradshaw rock paintings of the Kimberley region of Western Australia. Oh yeah, I think you, it was shown in the movie Prometheus. You know, where they're yes. like, "Oh, these are aliens." Like, well, no, but they're done by the, uh, the 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 Native Aboriginal people. Or well, there's debate there that they might be from Southeast Asia or in, in Indonesia. So who knows? But these, one of the figures there looked awfully similar to what you found in the Great Basin here of our region that we're talking about. So
1: who knows? That's interesting. Yeah. Well, the bottom line is when Hicks wanted to go look at those particular ones in Dark Canyon, the tribal elders told him no. And they also said, quote, leave it alone, unquote. <laughs> and that goes yeah. back to what you were saying. This is a theme that comes up over and over with the skinwalkers and the idea of the skinwalkers. And that theme is, do not disturb. You're bringing uh, badness and uh, ill health. But it's more than that. It's this thing that you don't want to poke with a stick because it's going to focus on you and it's going to come for you in a very specific way that goes beyond things that you, oh, I might attribute it to that. I'm talking about (laughs) an attack. And that is why they don't want anyone going to Dark Canyon.
2: Well, not just you personally, Right, but you're bringing it upon all the and everybody, yeah, the neighborhood, yeah, yes. right. So it's not, they're not just looking out for your safety, which I'm sure they are. Yeah, as a, as a tourist, but it reminds me of the old saying here, which we we sometimes mention here. It's uh, from Nietzsche. Uh, You know, he who fights with monsters should be careful lest he thereby become a monster. And if thou gaze long into an abyss, the abyss will also gaze into thee. Which is not, I mean, it's a little misappropriation here, but you'll hear that quite often in paranormal circles is that when when you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back. To me, in this sense, means... If you, like you said, if you poke the bear, it wakes up and now knows it's being poked by you. Yeah. So
1: don't stare into the abyss because there's something out there that will take notice. One of the things that you find out as this story unfolds is that whatever is happening, the things or the beings that are perpetrating the events are sentient, they're smart, and they seem like they might be malevolent. Even though those wolves did not kill <laughs> the family and did not attempt to kill the family. Well,
2: maybe there's a reason, there's a rule that well, they like you can they, they, they can't, and then it makes you wonder who sets down these rules and who enforces them? What force? But that's a whole other discussion.
1: And the other thing about all these appearances and everything that happens is there's, a, there's an air of mischievousness about it.
2: Well, we go back to this and it's so prevalent again and again talking about dark entities that people currently see in their own bedrooms and shadow people and different things like that. Leprechauns, little people, the Wendigo, all these things. There's a trickster element. What is that? And yeah. we, we kind of jokingly aside, it, you know, I've talked to Scott about this. It's like, the, what's the one thing that everybody jokes about now? it's even a, I believe it's a, it's even a meme. It's the evil laugh. Wah-ha-ha. You know, the kind of the, the yeah, spelt B-W-A-H. Yes. Uh-huh. What is it about the sense of humor? I mean, it's a dark sense of humor, but obviously whatever it is out there, that's pervasive. It's in everything. And there's a trickster element. Again, we've, we've talked about Loki and the trickster gods and uh, they like messing with us. And they don't really care about our health. So if the trick ends up harming us, all the better. And there's something about the skinwalker feeding off the energy of fear with people as well.
1: No, that's totally true. And in some cases, you know, this comes back to the Mothman. There's a – in the movie anyway, which is – and but I think this actually did come from the original stories that uh, John Keel had researched and wrote about. There was a characteristicness of omniscience. And there was reason to believe yeah. that maybe there was omniscient creatures perpetrating some of the stuff that was going on at Skinwalker Ranch, which we need to get down to some more of the events. But yeah. there are other situations where it seemed like they weren't omniscient. And that is where I'm going to be talking about in our theories, probably in part three, Yeah, the idea that I think there's kind of a party going on out there. Yeah, And I think that there are players from lots of different teams
2: yeah, there's certainly a lot of different elements. And as we've discussed previously about uh, creatures, entities from the other side, if you believe in that sort of thing and the people that relay this information to you, that there are different levels. There's low energy or, or like well, sludge entities, which are not fully what you would call like a, a very powerful djinn or demon. So there's a lot, of, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of different players. But there's one thing that you reminded me of, about the mothman the movies that it's a great explanation going from memory here but i believe it is alan bates the character who's the weasen professor who there's always a professor who tells you to leave it alone
1: yeah <laughs> here it's here it yeah, would his hero to be our native americans his character's yeah. name is an anagram for keel is the name is leak ah, that's right yeah that's right l-e-e-k
2: that yes yeah i think richard Gere is discussing well how does it know these things how does it know it's chopstick in his yeah. hand yeah He said, well, picture this. You come outside and there's a a window washer and he says, there's a bad accident up the road, but you can't see it. Well, the window washer himself is not psychic. He's just seeing something from a different vantage point. Not any smarter than you are. Yeah, Yeah, but but he has access to a different vantage point that you do not. Right. So he has information that you do not. And then when you go up the road, like, oh my gosh, there is an accident here. How did he know that? Because he could see it. He's higher
1: up. He could see it. So- Allegorically, that's a good representation also of the idea of another dimension or geometry and how math relates to all that stuff and your perception. Right. Or the perception of the subject being different just because it's in a different position. And that position may be completely out of our universe, but somehow able to interact with it.
2: Yeah, there's something about seeing and right, guys sight. taking notes. <laughs> it's just it's <laughs> off the rails here, but <laughs> but all these things figure into the lore of the Skinwalker and possibly what's going on. And as we go into the show. You're going to see that it's not just, it has its roots possibly in Native American lore and legend, but it goes way, way out of proportion here to include so many other things that might point to a grand unified theory of the paranormal.
1: Oh, that's a big one.
2: Well, that's the big brass ring at the end of the ride here. An idea, a concept, a model that ties in all of this crazy stuff from Bigfoot to ghosts to... Poltergeist, the, the whole thing. Orbs, your favorite. He yeah. loves orbs. Plenty of orbs in this I one too. couldn't
1: get away from them in this one.
2: It's probably the last straw for the Shermans in yeah. leaving the ranch.
1: Yeah. Just quickly, before we move on, I did want to point out, and uh, Kelleher and Knapp mentioned this in their book. They had cited a Las Vegas anthropologist who was a, an expert in Native American lore. His name was Dan... Right? I would say Beneshek. Beneshek. Dan Beneshek. Yeah. And he feels that there's no way that the Navajo would try to get a skinwalker to assist them in revenge because the skinwalkers are dangerous tricksters and that if they knew someone was a skinwalker, they'd probably kill them. Skinwalkers are considered, as you said earlier, Forrest, selfish, greedy, and self-serving. They are not to be trusted.
2: (laughs) Did you put that in quotes so that you got met? Like, hey, I'm just quoting someone. That's not my uh, opinion of you. Like if a skinwalker came back to you and said, like, hey, what's with the <laughs> bad press, man? <laughs> no. Uh, okay. A part of it is that the lore goes, if you see a skinwalker eye to eye, well, one, you should never make eye contact with them. Because what happens is that they can enter your mind that way. Also, if you see them and you recognize them, it's like, hey, I know that guy. He's going to have to kill you. Because now you're going to tell the tribe, like, yeah, it's, uh, it's Fred over there. He's the one uh, dressing up That's and harming right, because people.
1: Because you, you can be in he, the he presence can be harmed. Yes, but you can also be in the presence of one and not know it. Yeah. They're not necessarily standing at the local party as a wolf. Yeah. They're maybe just a completely normal-looking human being. They
2: say there's something about the eyes, though. There's some kind of animalistic glow in them, except that when they turn back to being human, it's more flat and dull. Right. That's part of the story. If you recognize one, they're going to have to be banished or killed because you can't let that stuff go on. So the skinwalker is going to come back at a later time and hunt you down probably as a person and and try and wipe you out.
1: You know what's interesting to me too about the idea of of what Beneshek is saying about, well, I just can't fathom that the Navajo would try to make a deal with the skinwalker to curse the Utes no matter what the scenario is because they wouldn't want to be in business with them.
2: No, but and, I can not see the Utes saying like, hey, that's the reason we're getting all this trouble here.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. And it's interesting, but that sort of cultural disparity, because, you know, at times those tribes worked together, and at other times they were working against each other. Right. Like all tribes, like sure. gangs, like whatever. Anytime yeah. you get groups of people Any together. family groups. Sure. And that's where lore comes from. Yeah. You know, it comes from the stories and these legends and, and the things that happen. But sometimes you have to wonder which comes first? It's a chicken and the egg thing. Is it possible that things like this are created by the minds that believe they exist and mm. that the creation comes after the belief or does the mm. belief come after the creation? I'm just saying, it's just yeah. a, a little thing. You know, like <laughs> you said, chicken, I'm turning into you. <laughs> but, <laughs> the chicken and egg
2: thing. <laughs> no, but, you know what the thought I had is that when you see paintings and drawings from old petroglyphs yeah. to... Native American ceremonial headdress or descriptions or masks of something, and the guy's half wolf, half human. People are saying, well, that's just, you know, he's taken on the uh their persona, the spirit, uh, you know, it's just kind of an image. But it really, maybe that's what they saw when they first right. saw it. Right. Something like that. It's like, well, that's what we're gonna duplicate. It's not an idea that came later. It's something that, like, whoa, that's pretty odd. That's kind of a half human, half wolf hybrid. And we are going to commemorate that in our ceremonies. I was wondering about that earlier, though. It's, yeah, these pictures that you see, is that just somebody's imagination from 6,000 years ago? Or is it really a bit of journalism? Right. So there you go. The cave times. (laughs) It takes me several weeks to put out one issue because it's all chipping. But I wondered about that. And then, again, I think they're misinterpreted, and we really don't know what they're talking about because you had to be of the era To know what the artist guy was up there in the cave, you know, chipping away at, and uh, what he recorded, but and these things take a lot of effort. And my feeling is that at the time, and I believe a lot of anthropologists would would agree, these things have a sacred dimension to them. It's not just somebody doodling some fanciful thoughts. You know, like, you you know, you didn't have that kind of uh, luxury. I think you would be trying to put down for all time for all peoples that came after you something that was important to you trying to describe something that had a lot of sacred meaning to you. So whatever it was is I believe, yes, it might go to their creation myths or or legends the ancestors told them. But again, I think there's elements in there that it's not just balderdash. I believe that maybe they were seeing something that was going on or that somebody had experienced and relayed to them.
1: All right, time for our last commercial break of the evening.
2: And a break for me rambling on, Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, listen up. Ah, listen up. I
1: love that Southern sincerity. You know I mean it when I say listen up. I do, I do. I've learned that all too well. So listen up. When I say that Mac Weldon is better than anything you're wearing right now, I'm not kidding around. Except in my case. Why is that? Because I am wearing Mac Weldon, sir. Ah, present company excluded, of course. Aha. So to all of you out there, Mac Weldon is better than anything you're wearing right now, and the reasons are pretty straightforward, if you ask me. Straightforward? Yes.
2: Commonplace. No, because Mac Weldon believes in smart design, and because Mac Weldon believes in premium fabrics, and because they believe in a simple shopping experience online, Mac Weldon will be the most comfortable
1: underwear, socks, shirts, sweatpants, and hoodies you will ever wear or order online. I can't stand a confusing website when it comes to checkout. I'm routinely waiting on things that I thought I ordered, only to find out that for some reason the order was wrong or didn't go through. Macwell Insight is a breeze, and the process is quick and easy, which is how I like to do my shopping. And that does seem to happen to you a lot. It does. Well, anyway, they have a line of silver underwear
2: and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial. Which means they naturally eliminate odors. Right, and they perform well. They're great for everyday use, going to work, dates,
1: you name it. Remember the silver? Great for working out. They want you to be comfortable. And MacWeldon will back that up. If you don't like your first pair, you can keep them, and they'll still refund you. No questions asked. And that's a great deal, because they believe in their products, obviously. Yeah, so there's no excuse for anyone to not give them a try. And if our listeners go to MacWeldon.com and use the promo code LEGENDS, they get 20% off. So really, it's a great way to try a terrific product and an overall truly easy shopping experience.
2: Man, Listen Up was right. I never waste a Listen Up.
1: All right, so coming back to the skinwalker, we're talking about the canine angle on them. That's only just, that's one angle. They can actually appear as any animal, but the, the presence of wolves in the case of this story, and also across, it seems like, tribally, across other tribes and yeah. in other parts of the country, the, the wolves and dogs seem to be particularly pervasive when it comes to skinwalker stories.
2: Yeah, it's canines mostly, and the, probably the second most popular one is a bear. Right. Of somebody turning into a bear, and then... uh Sometimes birds of prey, eagles, hawks, but really, yes, it all comes back to mostly the canine. And the other thing about the legend is it's often a deformed-looking individual. So that's the other reason that that original wolf story was kind of unusual for me is that the blue eyes, because often people say like glowing yellow eyes. I've heard that quite a bit in, in some accounts. But that there's something not quite right about it. And you'll hear you'll hear from stories that are either legendary or, or contemporary where it'll have a deformed arm or it walks really funny. Yeah. Uh, there was one account where someone saw it cross the road in front of their car with the headlights on and it looked like a, it was on a rocking hobby horse.
1: Yes, I read so, that as well. Yeah, yeah, so
2: that's one characteristic of that, the Yeah, it was skinwalker. walking
1: like a hobby horse. What does that even mean? I don't know what that Just, means. Well, you know what?
2: Kind of the lope of the chupacabra. Uh, you know, because they say that the, the front legs are much longer than the back one, so it has this weird gait. Now, we've seen quite what, a like few. Like a German
1: Shepherd? No, that's they, not that Well, weird. they kind of have that <laughs> squatted down,
2: you know. Yeah,
1: I mean, different breeds, yeah, yeah they, they, the they run
2: differently. Certainly a Dachshund is going to run differently than a, a, a
1: Greyhound. I uh, just pictured when they said that that one was called the Oh, the Rocking Horse? The, road, the yeah. Rocking Horse. I pictured like a really bad green screen effect. I <laughs> do, 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 do. But still, well, I was thinking, that was yeah. really spooky to me.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, imagine seeing that, though. This is the first thing that, that enters your mind is that this is not a normal animal no. you've never seen this on tv in a nature show jack Hanna's wild you, you've never seen anything like this so instantly that uh get your hackles up i think is the term there's something really weird about it and people often describe like with ghosts a deep down kind of fearful feeling that yes. comes in seeing this because i've recounted this quite a bit but marty who's from a previous show we were out in the desert in a joshua tree and it was still late afternoon uh four o'clock, something like that. We heard a growl. And I, man, I, again, we didn't think about this for a very long time. And I'm sorry to keep always mentioning this thing, but it's one of the few paranormal kind of weird things, unexplainable things that's happened to me. Yeah. And and I didn't get that deep down, like a ghost, you know, chill to your core kind of feeling, but what it was instantly for me, and I looked over at Marty and we were like, we didn't say anything, but it was like, that does not belong here. Yeah. Because it wasn't a dog growl. It wasn't a canine growl. It was more... I would say like a lion. Right. And but you couldn't see anything. No. The, again, that's the freaky thing. Look, you were if, in a big open expanse, right? It's a big open expanse. If, you, if you've ever, if you can picture Joshua Tree, I mean, there's- there, You can there's picture some, the
1: front of the album. Well, there's
2: trees, yeah, yeah. but there, it's not like a thicket where things are hiding. We weren't even a part where there were a lot of trees. It was kind of a wide open expanse. It was in a parking lot where it just kind of faded out into the dirt and no boulder or rock was probably taller than a foot. Right. Maybe two feet tall. So where did the
1: growl come from? Uh,
2: exactly. That's what freaked us out because it's like, oh, I, I wouldn't have done this unless it, I was captivated somehow mentally. You're at the farm and a, and a big wolf's coming up to you. I'm going to inch back into the house yeah. and, and close the door. Yeah. For whatever reason, they were compelled not to do that or that feeling didn't occur to them. But that's what I'm – that's going to happen to me rationally if I see a large animal – There's a bear in the field. I'm going to inch my way back. I don't care if it's a a nice-looking little black bear. I'm going to inch my way back into safety. So where was this thing coming from? There really shouldn't logically be any spot where a big cat like that, a jungle cat, or whatever that kind of deep guttural growl was coming from. First of all, I'm fairly familiar with the Southwest now. There's nothing that should be making that sound. If I was up in Griffith Park, sure, there's mountain lions up there. Yeah. If you hear that, it's probably coming from above you because that's how they hunt. They pounce down upon you. That's why they attack joggers and mountain bikers because it's prey going by on the trail. That's what they're used to hunting. But they don't like to be in big open spaces. (laughs) I remember this. I I was with a friend, uh, Arnie. We were out uh, taking the dogs for a walk and the family cat decided to come with us. I don't know why. And I go, well, that's interesting. It ain't going to last long. Wait till we get to that. We start crossing the football field at the local junior high. Then the cat realizes, whoa, I'm out in the middle of the open. This is not good. And he he darted back. So anyway, and to wrap up the story, what was freaky about it is there was no logical reason or place it should be coming from. And that's what freaked us out. And we just said, it's time to go. Yeah. So in regards to seeing these things, it's really out of place and the motion of the animal is not right. Going back to the part of the legend, they are deformed somehow. They haven't fully formed. Now I believe the Navajo legend it's it's much more formed, so you might see something that looks like the werewolf boy from the <laughs> Weekly World News, just covered it totally covered in hair.
1: Well, there's yeah. a lot of stories of these hybrids or these things that seem like they didn't work just right. Yeah, where well, it's uh, what, like it's, right. it's mixed up. Like there's dog legs with human hands at the end of them, or there's actually a specific story. I just watched a show last night on Destination America, which used to be the travel channel, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rebranded. And by the way, it's not really about travel anymore. It's just about ghosts and weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they have a show on there called Monsters and Mysteries. It's kind of a fun little show. And the episode that I saw, this came on yesterday, right before we were set to record, just happened to have a huge section about skinwalkers. Oh, really? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. And so I watched, they, were, they had this older gentleman on there who I'm pretty sure was Native American. And he was talking about driving on a reservation down what they, you know, they did a reenactment and they depicted it as like a dirt road. And he's driving down this road and there's an old hand pump well on the side of the road. You know, yeah. you crank mm-hmm. it and put oh, the yeah. water in the bucket. And he's driving down the road and there's a youngish woman standing there. He thought maybe in her 20s with her back to him and she's pumping the well. Yeah. And he's driving up, and it's it's a little bit weird because it's not really – it's of, an older uh, well. Yeah, out of the middle There's of nowhere. other places to get water. Sure. Yeah, and so as he gets up next to her, he sort of slows down to look over, you know, and is thinking maybe she needs assistance yeah. or just kind of make sure everything's okay. And she looks up at him, and she has the head of a dog, literally. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, that's – yeah. Uh, and he Freaky. freaks out. Sure. And like slams on the gas and just takes off. And as the truck is kind of squirreling away, he looks up in the rearview mirror and nothing is there. Wow. Yeah. You say okay, well this story this is crazy. It's just like some guy, you know, how do you right, know, you know, right. yeah, we don't have any pictures. It's unconfirmed. Yeah. But I'm telling you when you watch him tell the story, he doesn't seem like he's making it up. Like he at the very least believes that he saw that.
2: Yes, it's the uh, the Mouchelot Harry but experience. Yeah,
1: and yeah. I I don't know this uh, call back to the Ostman <laughs> one of my favorite episodes, no, the Ostman episode.
2: Yeah, and if you haven't listened to it, the point is that uh unlike Albert Ostman Muchalot Harry who was a native American uh, hunter and trapper lived in the area saw something that spooked him so bad and he of course he realized it to a a group of uh big foot feet yeah. big, that kind of cornered him when he told the story apparently that his hair turned white he never went back for his gear no ever left, left he an left.
1: expensive weapon and all his gear he was part he gave was up locking yeah. yeah, but he was, this was a logging group, wasn't it? Or was it a hunting
2: group? No, well, it's the village there, they, they did a it was, he, things. He
1: went to the village and stayed in the village. <laughs>
2: yeah, he, you know, yeah, that's the thing. He was an avid outdoorsman, expert mountain man, and he gave that all up. So for him to, uh, unless he was just planning on this, it's a long ways to go for a prank or just a, or a fictitious story. Uh, the skinwalkers, they can sometimes appear to be women or even children, but usually it's a man.
1: Well, and Knapp and Kelleher in Hunt for the Skinwalker told another story of a Ute tribal police officer. He told a story that on the surface, it's going to seem a little funny to an outsider, but this guy was deadly serious about this. And culturally, they are very serious about these sightings. Yeah. The officer had spoken to a local man who said he saw two humans with dog heads smoking cigarettes (laughs) in the road. Oh and This is nearby. This is yeah. in Fort Duchesne, which is nearby. Right, right. Uh, Skinwalker Ranch. So, yeah. a lot of people are seeing a lot of <laughs> wacky stuff here. It, and like, well, and, I, and yeah. I read another story somewhere else about dog-headed people smoking cigarettes. And a person went back, and the, they were gone, but the butts were still on the ground. Oh like, well, wow.
2: and they're very slobbery. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. And you shouldn't <laughs> be throwing your butts on the ground, really. No. But they're sometimes in groups because uh, there has been stories relayed of multiple skinwalkers. Uh, three that tried to climb the fence at the Sherman Ranch, but were unable. And I'm saying this now because I don't want to forget it later because, it's, again, it goes back to the rules. It seems they were they were not able to because, like a vampire, because like other entities, you have to invite them. And why is that? Why do they have to follow that book rule? Of but anyway, rules. This, yeah, the book of rules. The, but, uh, but the three uh, skinwalkers, yeah, they could not climb the fence and they somehow yelped their displeasure and uh, were chased off into the night. The other thing is that, oh, th- there was another uh, uh, incident there at, at the Skinwalker Ranch where this was, I seen by uh, Terry Sherman and a researcher there of two fighting each other. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's and then right. And then when they approached, they saw them and then took off like the roadrunner. I mean, like, like just like covering this, hundreds of yards in a matter of seconds.
1: Is this not the two that took off bipedally too?
2: Yes, they stood up. Yeah, right, they didn't thought, say that. That's uh, an important detail. No, well, <laughs> well no. Uh, some of them have a strange gait. You will. Uh, yeah, but hear these that. two
1: dogs were fighting. They yeah, went very over to huge check dogs, it out, huge yeah. dogs, and they stood up on their back legs and ran away and ran away. Yeah, yeah you're burying the lead there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just assume by now you just uh, you just expect them to be. They you know, ran human. away
1: on two legs. Yeah,
2: on their back legs, running away. Yeah, going back to the two variations you most commonly hear about these is that the one skinwalker, the evil shaman, will have covered himself in kind of a pelt. And a part of this reason is not only to assume the identity and kind of gain some of the spirit from the the pelt of the animal he is trying to portray or, I guess, assimilate with, is that also he has to keep his identity hid from the other you know, tribal members. Because again, it's not a good thing with the tribe to be a skinwalker. Right. They don't see that as a positive. Yeah. Right. So uh, you can do your dastardly deeds, but you still have to remain hidden. Uh, the other thing with the person who, the uh, the skinwalker who might be wearing part of a pelt is that, like you said, partially they might be transformed. So they might have very long fingernails, elongated feet, like a canine, or like the Dr. Pepper guy, in American werewolf in London. Oh, yeah. Remember that? That was a great, <laughs> in early special effects, when you saw his ankles lengthening. Yeah. And his hand lengthening. Now, he turned into fully a, a fully-formed werewolf, but the process we're describing would be, he kind of stopped somewhere after the lengthening and the canine teeth coming in. So there's different variations the story varies a little, but again, nothing ever seems to repeat twice. It's not like the same type of animal
1: every time. All right, so there's a whole lot more to talk about with this story. Truthfully, it could like It does be get like weirder. Cereal. It could be like cereal. <laughs> oh, we yeah, could do yeah. 13 episodes on this, but we're not yeah. going to because yeah. it's not everyone's cup of tea. No, don't worry about we're it. We're going to have some fun with it. And uh, before we wrap up part one here, we want to talk a little bit about the homestead, which is the structure that... Terry and Gwen and their family moved into when they bought the house. When they bought the ranch, right? Because they bought the farm. (laughs) Jeez, (laughs) not really a farm. uh, Please don't. Nothing portentous. Farm or ranch?
2: Well, this is what it is. The whole area again, four hundred and eighty acres is a very large uh, swath of land here, and it really it originally was basically divided into three homesteads. So there's a, there's a middle part. There's one that's kind of close to a a lovely ridge of mountain, kind of a mountainous ridge there. So there's basically three sections with meadows and tree lines of their own. So that's kind of what you're talking about. And when George Knapp talks about it, he's kind of describing the different regions. But again, it's all one property that their one ranch house is on. Right. Yeah, so there's a corral there. They, they keep cattle. They let them roam. They kind of herd them around. Yes. It's like any other farm or ranch. There's a corral. There's, a, there's trailers. There's watering troughs. There's a little canal there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's basically a very traditional type of
1: ranch. Right, but the homestead has some things about it that aren't traditional.
2: Well, uh,
1: when they some moved in. <laughs> you, you, these are some things that you might, yeah. like, I don't know. A long time ago when my wife and I were in our second house here, or, or third house, we've we've had a few properties. And I remember like when we, the first one we bought, because we're older, the first <laughs> yeah. one that we bought, I remember someone said, you really have to go, you need to talk to the neighbors, because you never know what's happening. Oh, yeah, sure. The, you might even want to try and spend the night. What if there's weird noises at night from the airport or the or smells? <laughs> no, that's or a good that's a good point. Super loud yeah. you know, neighbors next door that have a party at two AM. And it's all those things you don't know. And a lot of times when you go to buy something yeah. that's a big commitment like that, you don't really check it out. You don't know if you're moving in next to the guy who likes to look through your windows with binoculars. (laughs) That's
2: shaped like as a head of a wolf.
1: Yeah, Yeah. the head of a wolf. So you do do want to check things out. I do get the feeling that they didn't necessarily do all their due diligence on Skinwalker Ranch. (laughs) (laughs) You do Well, no. <laughs> With all these due are respect. no, but these are
2: all things that uh, you don't really go checking for.
1: Well, no, you know but I'm you like, can ask around town. You know, have you? Is this place uh, cursed? And is it uh, forbidden for your people to go on the well, land? Oh, well,
2: oh, those are two separate things now. Because yeah. again, the, that whole area, that southern end of the uh, the reservation there, that that basin part, they're not going to poke around there, and they're not going to tell you about it either.
1: But they should tell you about it if you're buying well,
2: it. Well, they're not the realtor. you know? But I guess, you know. <laughs> but no, I totally get your point, and that is a very good idea. Except I think in this case... It's a ranch. You're not expecting these kind of things. Now, there was a well, previous they, owner. Yes. Okay. I couldn't initially find out who the name was. I, I believe,
1: according to the ARC, I think it was the Myers family. Or okay. they might have been the first owners. We're still putting together a timeline on the ownership.
2: Right. They weren't the first to kind of settle the land there. There, no. There were people that owned the property before them. And there's a little contentious part here because – the brother of the original owner, who I'm guessing who was has probably passed away at this point. By yeah. when the when the Shermans owned it, uh, he was saying there's nothing right spooky about it. Nothing. None of this stuff ever happened.
1: Yeah. Now, one thing I kind of want to well, end, not it, ever it, happened, but it didn't happen well, while he was living.
2: Didn't there. exactly. He yeah. couldn't account for any of that kind of stuff. That was kind of very suspicious about the accounts that he'd heard from the Shermans. Yeah. However, and I believe that this is backed up by other people, not the Shermans, but who have also visited the ranch, because they have – okay, so the family is – it's it's Terry and Gwen, the, yes. the parents. There is more than just the two people. So they have two teenage boys, yeah. I believe, and then there's a nephew that helps out on the ranch. I
1: should clarify. Well, yeah. When Kelleher and Knapp wrote their book, they yeah. used fake names yes. for – The Shermans. They referred to them as the Gormans. The Gormans, Tom and, I can't remember, Tom and Ellen Gorman or something like that. And they also named the kids in the book. Later, the Shermans actually came out publicly in 1996, I think, or something like that. Well, he
2: talked to a a reporter. Yeah. uh, And that introduces another character I'm not going to lead into, yes, right, which is uncharacteristic. You know, these guys are, we talked about these types of folks before. They're kind of tight-lipped. It's like Ronnie Johnson. They don't go around discussing their business. Yeah. But so many weird things had happened. He felt compelled. Now, one thing I briefly want to mention here, we are going to talk about the skeptical side of this, uh, the, the even more skeptical side. But people often criticize them as like, well, you're just trying to sell the ranch and drum up some kind of drama around this. Like, that's not the kind of drama you want to, <laughs> to drum up to sell a place. Like, no. Like, this place is so freaky, we're, we have to leave. Hey, who wants to buy this now? Yeah. I see that as a kind of a dumb argument. It's like, you know, they're trying to gain some notoriety for themselves and, and because they wanted to sell the place. Well,
1: and here's the other thing, and we'll come back to it later. After he eventually did sell it, and this is a part two thing, when he yeah. did sell it to another party, after the third party bought it, he wanted to stay on because he was so interested in trying to figure out what was going on there. And he stayed on as a, a ranch manager.
2: Yeah, as a care- caretaker against yeah. the advice of his entire family who was so freaked out, they just want to get oh, far away from this place. Yeah. What I was going to say is that when they originally moved in, what was interesting that they found, if you believe them, was that not only were there locks and deadbolts on the outsides of all the windows and
1: doors – but on the insides as well, as well as bolts on every cabinet inside. And bolts on the closets on the outside and the inside.
2: Everything that had a flapping door or a, a door that could flap had a closure. And any, so, <laughs> Any room yeah. you
1: could be in, if, yeah. you, if there was a panic attack and you needed to lock it up, even a closet, you could lock yourself inside a closet.
2: Yeah, they would later find out what that reason was for that they didn't know at first. Also outside, there seemed to be two heavy iron stakes and I think on either side of the building itself uh, that they believed, you know, large dogs were chained up at as kind of sentries. Yeah. So again, they don't know much about this place, but they did have that weird experience when they first moved in. But they would soon find out that uh, according to them, This thing was rife with all kinds of weirdness.
1: Well, in addition to the whole canine situation and the wolves and everything, the issues that went on in the house were a little bit more mischievous and not necessarily evil, but they were still – in fact, they were specifically trickstery. <laughs> I was you know, about to say that. Yeah.
2: I'm not sure that's the correct No, but word. I mean, they were. Yeah, trickstery, it's like yes. the
1: kind of thing that you would expect a gremlin to do or like a joke, like someone that's playing jokes or pranks on you. Because yeah. what was happening is... Here's here's some of the things that were happening. For one, repeatedly, their salt got put in their pepper shaker, and their pepper got put in their salt <laughs> shaker.
2: Boy, that's so, childish, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah.
1: so that's just like, they, it got to where it was happening so much, they would fix it, and it would happen so much that they just decided to. they would always test. They would shake a little in their hands oh, and just kind of forgot about it. Yeah, that's then tiresome. They, oh,
2: th- there was a Joe Beth Williams poltergeist moment where I believe Gwen went to town, got a bunch of groceries. She was putting them back in... Put everything away. Comes back a minute later. Everything's back on the kitchen table.
1: Yeah, she had spent a lot of time putting stuff away. Yeah, because imagine all the groceries. You don't, yeah,
2: you don't go into town every day for groceries. No. You go once a week or
1: more. Especially so. when you're out in the middle of nowhere like that. Yeah. And so she put it all away. Yeah, she. I can't remember how much time had passed. I think it wasn't like an inordinately quick amount of time. It was right. either twenty or forty minutes. There was enough time to do it. But the point is, no one was there to do it. And yes. so when she came back, everything was back on the table. Yeah. I think it caused an actual argument with, <laughs> Who uh, did this? with yeah. Terry because yeah. he was like, oh, you just thought you put him away. And she's like, no, oh, you don't understand. Yeah. And that's how it always starts with this poltergeist stuff. It's like, you don't believe me, you know, whatever. Well, no,
2: because it's, it's unbelievable if you're not willing to go there. To those places, but when you come back, well, again in Joe Beth Williams' case, the the chairs are stacked on the uh, on the table. But again, that's well, one you of my keep f- saying Joe Beth Williams. You need to specify. I can't remember the name of the mom on the in no, Poltergeist. The
1: movie, you in, didn't per, say the name per, of the I movie. Did. Poltergeist? Yes. No, you didn't say it. Okay, I'm saying you it just now. Just said Joe Beth Williams. It's Poltergeist. Nobody knows who that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's, she was very
2: relevant in the
1: in the in Yeah, a thousand years ago when uh, we were... When you we love were that young. movie.
2: What are you talking about? No, I
1: do love it. But I'm just telling you, our listeners don't know who Joe Beth Williams is. They
2: don't know, but... You have to but, say the movie okay. Poltergeist.
1: And the first point Poltergeist, taken. not the second one, which nobody saw, right?
2: True. Uh, <laughs> point well taken. But in a real account, which also this reminded me of, not this bad, but this Skinwalker ranch, the Sherman ranch, has some dark, mischievous bits to it. It was that one that still freaks me out, man. It's one of my favorite paranormal episodes uh, on cable or anywhere was the demon episode of Paranormal Witness, where that family was being plagued and they would come back and it's mischievous stuff, but it was like all of their the contents of their cabinets and refrigerator, like something had taken the peanut butter and glued all the cheese its to the wall and d- all these weird patterns. Yes, Yeah. Things were, like, the milk was dumped, you know, in in all the glasses. It just, it was all out of order. Like, again, it's kind of really childish, but weird. There was what is that? There was an intelligent mischievousness about it. It wasn't random. It wasn't an animal. When a dog gets into your fridge, there's no pattern to it. It's just like, you know, he's just eating whatever he can find and throwing the contents wherever. Again, that's an animal. They're not really thinking about that. Here is something mischievous to mess with you. I believe because they can do it.
1: Well, and here's another thing that happened to Ellen, and by the way, to the point of the fake names that they had in yeah. the book that I just finished. I'm trying real hard to use their real names because oh, they came out, but I read the Gwen. whole book, yes, as, as their well, fake, Gwen, excuse yes, me. I get you with get the what you fake names. It. Yes. So if you hear me say Gorman, yeah. Tom Gorman, right. and Ellen Gorman, yeah. those are their fake names. Those they are the fake outed names. themselves, we're not outing them right. as Terry and Gwen Sherman. <laughs> right. Gwen Sherman, The other one of the other things that would happen to her is she would go to take a shower and she would take her hairbrush and a comb or her hairbrush and something else, I can't remember, two items, and she would put them on the counter right outside the shower yeah. and get in the shower. And she would get out and they wouldn't be there. Yeah. And not only were they not there, they were nowhere. Couldn't find them anywhere. Right, right. And so... The idea is it's another reason for all the bolts. You're, are you trying to keep – maybe you're trying to keep things from going from room to room or maybe you're afraid something's going to get in the house that you're so scared of. But Yeah. Like, and eventually she would, they would turn up again, but that happened to her over and over. So we got the salt and pepper. We got the stuff coming out of the cabinets. We've got the her, – her bathroom stuff is disappearing. And I, I got the feeling from the book, even though there weren't a lot of other things detailed, that there was a whole litany of things going on inside the home of this nature and there was so much of it that, you know, compared to the giant wo- bulletproof wolf yeah. and a lot of the other things that were happening, it was kind of like they didn't even mention it because it wasn't a threat. This kind of stuff wasn't restricted to the inside of the house though. There were things going on outside the house Oh as yeah, well. b-
2: bigger stuff.
1: Bigger stuff and not necessarily right at the homestead because I, I think the tools were probably kept in other buildings, but one of the things that disappeared was Terry's Post hole digger. Yeah, and it was a seventy pound post hole digger. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you've ever had a post hole digger or tried to do any work with one, but I have. And <laughs> it, they yeah. are extremely heavy. Yes, it's all and metal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And but that helps when you pick it up and you drop it in the ground. You're trying to dig the hole. Right. It helps that it's heavy. But but either way, his disappeared. Yeah. He didn't know where it was. He was trying to blame the kids. And then another thing that happened was. There there were a bunch of metal bars of some kind. I can't think what they were. And this is not related to the Bob Lazar story, which may come up later. But these were just regular metal bars, maybe fence posts or something. I can't remember. And he had asked his son and I think some of his friends to move them. And they were moved. They moved this whole pile. It took them like four hours to move them to where they needed to go. And yeah. I think it was not too far away, like 100 feet or something like that. And then they came inside, and then when Terry came back home from wherever he was out in the field or whatever, he comes back, and they're right back, not exactly where they were originally, but... Pretty close to where they were originally. He goes in to his son and he's like, What you you guys didn't do that. what are you doing? You just sit <laughs> yeah. around watching TV, whatever, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah. And
1: they're like, uh, no, we did it, we did yeah. it. And they and they got into an argument about it. But the oh, reality geez. was they had moved them. Yeah. And then something moved all of the this, you know, hundreds of pounds of metal back to almost where it started. Not exactly, right. But almost where it started. And, and then yeah. later, several weeks later, they found the post hole digger. Oh yeah. <laughs> You yes. know where they found it? Yeah, in a tree, right? Twenty feet up, <laughs> yeah, in a tree. Yeah, just a random tree. Yeah. So I mean, this goes beyond the chair stacking and poltergeist. This is like now we're getting out into the whole ranch area. Well, if you want to
2: get woo woo with the with the poltergeist stuff, it to me it it says uh, it's about energy and power. It's like because it's it's one thing to flap a cabinet door open, the amount of energy it takes to to move a post hole digger up into a tree and all the metal rods. Well, in, in a similar story, there was a one ton stack of, uh, of wood in, in cords that the sun had stacked up. Took him a long time, was quite a bit of effort. He takes a 30 minute break and he comes back outside and the entire one ton stack of wood has now been moved 100 yards to the north side of the tree line from where opposite from where he left it. If you're going to go along the line of belief that uh, poltergeist activity happens and that it, it still takes an amount of energy, like this is a tremendous amount of energy from the other side. Yeah. They also heard strange things like voices, two disembodied voices above their heads. Yes. There's so many stories. I, we're, we're popping around here, but we're hoping to paint a picture of the total amount of weirdness whereas George Knapp says in his article it's like somebody ordered the weirdness pizza with everything on it because yeah. it's got everything on it yeah they were out one night with a one of the researchers I believe and um, Terry and his nephew and they heard two voices in an unknown language undecipherable talking above them like maybe 10 20 feet in the air yeah and the dogs were barking and then they got scared and ran off they didn't know where these voices were coming from, but they said it, it sounded kind of like, kind of mocking. So weird, disembodied voices, another common thing. And then these kind of things take a malevolent turn as far as these kind of incidents go. Terry and Gwen were tagging caps, which means they, they place a number tag on their ear. Kind of like getting a piercing. Yeah. Uh, so they had just done this with a calf. They go out about 200 yards out into a pasture to check on some other cattle. And then they hear uh, the wailing of one of the cows. So they come back, and they'd only been out about maybe 45 minutes. They come back, and the it's mother... The calf's mother, yeah. The calf's mother is kind of wailing. And, and uh, what they discovered was that the calf had been removed of all of its meat. So all they found was the hide of the calf... The entrails had been laid out, not in kind of any kind of pattern, but, like, carefully, as they described. It was just hide and bones. And there was no blood around. There were no tracks of any kind of animals or or humans or anything. So no tracks, no blood. Very much your classic cattle mutilation type of event. So they they had the hide analyzed by the researchers there, and what they could determine was that... We're going to,
1: by the way, these researchers, we're going to come back to explaining who they are in part two, but just uh, know that at this particular time in the story, there was a group of scientists on site trying to figure out what was going on.
2: Basically, so many things were happening that that, now this is being taken a look at by a, a scientific research team. And so two pathologists examined the hide and what was left of the calf and they determined it was probably done by two types of implements one a large machete of some kind and some very uh, like very sharp shears so there was mechanical removal of the meat but again no blood uh, which would that be a very bloody process and you'd be stepping all around the cow if it was humans or or an animal it'd be thrashing going on so none of that And again, a very classic story of cattle mutilation, but not certainly the only one. Well, that's going
1: to wrap it up for this episode. We'll be back next week with part two of our series on the Skinwalker Ranch. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Stamps.com, Indochino, and Mac Weldon. You can now find easy links to all of their offers at astonishinglegends.com slash sponsors. Our show is edited by Sarah Voorhees, and the theme is by Judson Crane. Sound design is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to The ARC and its
2: lead researcher, Tess Feifel. But most importantly, we want to thank our listeners. You can find us online at astonishinglegends.com, as well as Facebook, Patreon, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram. Copyright Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Good night.